relax, folks. It's finally arrived. VegCast. Yes, it's VegCast 75. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, here it is, and certainly nobody has been more impatient to get VegCast 75 out there, off the ground, and into the iPods than I. And in fact, maybe I'm the only one who's been so impatient, but at last, here it is. This is VegCast 75, a full menu of podcasting vegetariana. And this time out, I am happy to say that we have an exclusive VegCast mix of music by a new a recording artist who uh, some of you will know from a previous VegCast or two, and I'm going to leave that at that until we get to that. don't want to prejudice anybody, but first, we're going to be talking to Brandon Gittleman of Friends of Animals Pennsylvania Chapter about the horse-drawn carriage issue, why that should be of interest and concern to vegetarians and vegans out there, and uh, we're going to be finding out what's going on in Philadelphia. With that, and of course, as always, we will have a science fact, this one about soy and breast cancer and a special comment of sorts about the whole climate controversy and a little-known connection that that might have uh, thematically speaking. And so all that and more is coming up, and I hope that you will sit back and relax as we deliver to you the 75th edition of Okay, we're going to be going out into historic old city Philadelphia in the aftermath of one of the biggest blizzards the city has ever seen. And talking uh, to Brandon Gittleman in just a second, but before we do, I want to remind you that this episode of VegCast is sponsored by Luna and Larry's Coconut Bliss. No soy, no dairy, no comparison. It's the evolution of ice cream. And I also want to talk for one moment about the uh, something that may seem to be unrelated to the issue of vegetarianism and veganism, and uh, at least not directly related, but this is the uh, so-called climate gate controversy. Now, in case you had not heard, there were some emails that uh, were stolen or hacked or otherwise misappropriated uh, from the Climate Center at East Anglia in uh, the United Kingdom uh, that were damning in at least, oh, maybe four or even five cases uh, in terms of showing that the scientists may have gone overboard in uh, trying to squelch opposing viewpoints or being willing to go overboard in uh, trying to do so. However, this has been... uh, kind of trumped up and blown up into a faux controversy that's supposed to actually have some bearing on whether the tens of thousands of studies done uh, about our climate and uh, rising temperatures are now suddenly invalid because of the petty-seeming behavior of a couple of scientists. And uh, it's no coincidence that Copenhagen, the climate conference in Copenhagen, just concluded with a so-called deal that almost all parties agree is virtually worthless, as much of the time that was supposed to be spent there uh, trying to work out strategies 
and uh, Solutions was taken up with actually re-debating an issue that had actually been settled about a decade ago, uh, which was, is the planet warming? And (laughs) remarkably, some people actually now claim that because uh, Phil Jones made a quote saying he was going, he was using uh, nature's trick to hide the decline in a given graph that he was doing, that that somehow means that the planet isn't warming. Uh, And then again, these same people, when pressed, will admit when you look at the data, well, yes, the temperatures are rising, the planet is warming, and then I'll immediately jump from that as though trying to get through, I don't know, some onrushing lava jumping from rock to rock, they'll jump to another rock that says, oh, yes, it's warming, but we don't know if the carbon dioxide has anything to do with it. And, uh, of course, all the science uh, has been settled for a while, and the whole point Uh, was that uh, these scientists in question may have gone overboard in trying to uh, make the case more forcefully that it was closer to 100% certain than it actually is. But uh, the overwhelming consensus is still that the planet is warming and that uh, it is human-made factors that is causing it. Uh, But it is in the interests of uh, many people, and especially those invested in fossil fuel Uh, oriented industries to make it seem like there really is still some credible debate going on as to whether this fundamental truth is there or not, whether it's fundamentally true or not that the planet is warming and or whether there seems to be any connection uh, with human activity. That's all still up in the air. Now, the joke is that they were talking like this uh, back in the mid-90s and, uh, you know, saying, oh, global warming, well, it's only a theory, you never know. And then as more and more and more data came in, it became more and more obvious. And uh, eventually in mid-90s, they uh, started to kind of give up on that. And now they're, they've come roaring back. And the reason that I draw this to your attention, dear VegCast listeners, is not just that uh, we know that uh, global warming is a problem and that livestock, the raising of livestock, is a large factor in that. And so it is of interest to, to us to keep track of this kind of uh, coverage and so forth. But for uh, just a thematic resonance perspective, this whole thing reminds me very much of a something that had long been settled in terms of nutritional science and uh, which was cast back into an ongoing debate uh, by an article by Gary Taubes in the New York Times magazine in 2002 called What If It's All a Big Fat Lie, arguing that uh, the Atkins, Dr. Atkins had it right, and all of the world's nutrition scientists had it wrong, and uh, eating tons of fat and animal protein was going to make you happy and healthy and thin, and eating grains and other uh, carbohydrates was going to make you fat. And, uh, of course, this being in the prestigious New York Times magazine was widely read and credited, and people took it up and uh, started talking about it, and uh, that I would basically peg the entire resurgence of uh, fad, high-protein pro- diets over the first decade of the 21st century to the uh, publication of that article. I think you can see the trends pretty closely there. Um, and it's the same phenomenon. What has happened is that we're still now, today, in 2009, very late 2009, even having to debate 
this basic settled issue as though there's actually any real science. Uh, of course, Gary Taubes in his article uh, cherry-picked a few studies that seemed like they supported him and ignored the vast body of scientific research, uh, just as uh, the climate deniers are ignoring the vast body of research into our warming planet. Um, but the, even the studies that Taubes picked and cited, uh, the vast majority of those had unprecedented replies by scientists speaking to the media saying they had been either misquoted, lied about, taken out of context, or otherwise utterly misrepresented by Taubes' uh, article, and that their research did not support the concept of the Atkins diet as a healthy weight loss or body management system. Uh, so it's been utterly discredited, continues to be. The, uh, all of the emerging science that Taubes promised that was going to show us how healthy Atkins is, was, uh, never quite materialized. A couple of small studies saying, yes, it does help you take off the weight, uh, did appear, and then uh, follow-up said, yes, it does uh, wind up not working in the long run because people don't stay on it. Uh, and that was no surprise to any of us who'd seen the same thing for uh, for quite some time. And it was no surprise to us that uh, Atkins died mysteriously by slipping on the ice. But uh, what is surprising is that the mainstream media was so gullible in taking this up and once again making it seem like a he said, she said thing. So I just wanted to point that out and uh, say that if you think that you have no interest in what was going on in Copenhagen, what was going on with Climate Gate. Uh, you should probably look a little more into that uh, because it doesn't just bear on us uh, on a practical level as it does in terms of the future of the planet, but it also has an interesting parallel uh, with the uh, those who wish that the question of whether we should eat large amounts of meat were an unsettled, uh, open, debatable question. I'm sorry it's not. We should not. And that's the end of this special comment. And now we're going to turn and uh, go down to Fifth and Chestnut, uh, where we can hear the kind of uh, environmental noises of that bustling area on a recent Sunday. It wasn't actually that bustling because it was extremely cold. There were mountains of snow all over the place. And uh, fortunately, the carriage horses were not out, but I did take that opportunity uh, and that kind of lull to talk to Brandon Gittleman about the carriage issue in Philadelphia, and we're going to go to that now. Okay, we're here at Fifth and Chestnut in Philadelphia with snow all over the ground. We had just had uh, the second biggest snowstorm in Philadelphia history, and I'm talking with Brandon Gittleman. Uh, media Director for Friends of Animals in Pennsylvania. Brandon, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing, Vince? Pretty well. Thanks for being on VegCast. We came here specifically to talk about uh, the horse-drawn carriage issue, and I just wanted to start off uh, asking you if VegCast listeners are tuning in for vegetarian info or whatever, why, why should they care about whether a horse is drawing a carriage? I mean, come on, that's the way things have always been, isn't it? Well, we don't believe that uh, animals should be used for profit, for convenience, uh, for entertainment, for food, for any of those purposes. So I think it goes with the general theme of not not using animals for any of those purposes. Okay, fair enough. So if people are objecting to you know using animals for food, it is part of the same it's part of the same system, is what you're saying. Sure. So right now there it's uh, it's very cold. There's a wind chill that 
makes it too cold to have the horses out, so that's a good thing in and of itself. You guys had a big uh, protest scheduled, and is there any chance that, you know, they they saw that you were going to be here and, and got out of the way because they were afraid of Friends of Animals or what? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that they, uh, they're not out here because they, you know, they're following the rules, the, yeah. the regulations. I'm hoping that, you know, maybe they're, you know, it's, there's really no room for, you know, as it is, it's tough to have horses down here being in congested traffic. But, you know, with the snow out here, there's barely room for cars to get through. And I think they, you know, maybe a little bit of common sense prevailed and they decided to stay in today. Okay. Well, in terms of common sense prevailing, where is, where is this issue at in terms of uh, moving things forward in Philadelphia and and nationally. I mean, do you know? Are there are we are there any victories in other cities that we know about, or things that are getting close? Are they getting close in Philadelphia? Where's that at? Well, in, in Philadelphia, where the issue stands is we've uh, Friends of Pennsylvania Chapter of Friends of Animals has proposed legislation to the mayor and Philadelphia City Council, um, asking them to ban horse-drawn carriages. Uh, it hasn't been introduced. We're looking to get one of the council members to introduce the legislation, specifically Frank DeChico, because it's his district where the horses operate. And so uh, okay. they haven't been receptive thus far, but we're we're leafleting in South Philly. We're informing all of his constituents. We're out here today. We're going to be out here uh, you know, as, as often as possible to just inform people, ask them to contact the mayor, ask them to contact city council, and specifically Frank DeChico, uh, to put pressure on them, uh, letting them know that now's the time. It's just... Uh, we need to get the horses off the streets and into sanctuaries. Okay. Let's just talk a little bit more about this particular location. I understand uh, you, you folks have had a couple of run-ins with the National Park Service, and uh, the ACLU had to get involved. What was that about? Uh, well, the, the Park Service was restricting, uh, it still is restricting our free speech uh, as far as where, you know, where we're allowed to educate the public. Um, I'm not sure if, if you know, but originally we, you know, for our first few protests, we were sort of stuck on the northeast corner here of Fifth and Chestnut. Um, since that time, the ACLU has gotten involved and put pressure on the Park Service to allow to to uh, ask them to remove all restrictions on free speech, where we would be allowed to be where the horses, horse-drawn carriage drivers are allowed to be, allow us to educate the public properly. Um, as you can see now, we are where the horse-drawn carriages are are allowed to operate. Uh -huh. So. Um, that's an improvement. However, we're still restricted um, where we have to be 12 feet from the corner and we have to be 20 feet from entrances and exits to buildings. And we still feel that um, it's an arbitrary restriction and we still feel that it's a, it's a limits our, our speech and ability to educate the public. Okay. Well, have you had uh, any success in terms of educating the public, like people who were, you know, going to perhaps get on a carriage that uh, you talk to them and they say, oh, I never thought about it that way or anything like that? Absolutely. We've spoken to um, uh, many people handing out leaflets and people who come and see our signs and stop and ask the question, well, why why shouldn't we get on a horse-drawn carriage? And after speaking with us and, you know, sort of look, you know, a lot of people sit here and, and speak to us for a few minutes um, and understand that really horses should not, just because it was done doesn't mean that it's appropriate. It doesn't mean that horses should be used for entertainment or profit. And some people sit here and just kind of talk to us and look into the horse's eyes and see they're pulling, carting people around in traffic. Uh, it's not natural. It's exploitative, and it, it's, it you know needs to go. Uh, so that's uh, this location, and there's also a protest going on now uh, over at Macy's. Yes. And uh, what, what exactly is that about? 
well, just recently we saw that um, horse, the horse-drawn carriages were operating out front of the Wanamaker building in front of Macy's, and we called uh, Macy's, we called the, the manager, uh, management of Macy's and management of the Wanamaker building and kindly asked them to, um, to put forth pressure to uh, tell the horse-drawn carriages they should not be operating outside of their store. Um, they have not done that as of yet. So we're asking people to call Macy's to, to call the management of the Wanamaker building and ask them to um, tell the horse-drawn carriage operators to stay away from their store um, and, and take a stand against the exploitation of horses. So, But it's not it's not Macy's that's, that's doing it, is it? I mean, that's the thing is I, I had heard Macy's is having, you know, horse-drawn carriages for its customers. I went down to talk to Macy's to find that out, and they passed the buck along to the Wanamaker building. Is there a little bit of, uh, you know, shell game going on here, or what is it? Definitely. There's a little bit of passing the buck. I spoke to uh, the manager of Philadelphia Macy's. He said Macy's is not responsible. They didn't They didn't tell the horse-drawn carriages to be there, but they're still not telling them to, to go away from their store. They had the power to do to tell the horse-drawn carriages to operators to go away from their store. Similar to the Wanamaker building, they also have the power to make this go away, and neither of them are doing that. Um, also, Macy's has a store. If you go into their their holiday website, you can see that they are in fact authorizing them and offering free rides in Cincinnati and other cities. Uh-huh. So, um, as a corporation, they so, are certainly supporting okay. it. So, in Cincinnati, they are definitely, you know, intrinsically tied in with the thing. They're offering, here. They're just kind of throwing their hands up, saying, we, "Oh, we have no idea what's going on." That's correct. Yeah. Yep, they're offering free carriage rides in Cincinnati. Okay. So we're pushing forward on the horse-drawn carriage issue here. Before we wrap this up, is there anything else you want to let us know about in terms of uh, Friends of Animals in Pennsylvania's ongoing uh, efforts or initiatives? Uh, Friends of Animals, uh, we're a newly formed chapter, and, and besides the horse-drawn carriage issue, we're uh, we're you know working to uh, working on a number of animal rights campaigns and to reduce animal exploitation in a number of areas, uh, specifically the deer in Valley Forge. Uh, we have a, a vegan pledge coming up in January where we're uh, you know, asking people to sort of uh, try out veganism for 30 days and we're offering a number of, uh, number of incentives to do that, to try out veganism and we're going we're gonna to be uh, we're going to continue to work hard in Philadelphia in the area to reduce animal exploitation. Great, and we will uh, we will follow up in January on the Vegan Pledge and see how that's going. But, Brandon, uh, thanks for talking with us on VegCast. Thank you very much, Vince. All right.
That is Let Go by the traveling vegetarian Yvonne Smith as she increases her reach and uh, her domination of all forms of media by uh, embarking on a recording career. She's uh, released that as hot off the presses. That's so hot that this is an exclusive VegCast mix of Let Go so that we could share that with you on our 75th podcast. And if that's not special, I don't know what is. But Yvonne Smith uh, will be doing more recording and putting out more of her music and keep an eye on that. She'll be talking about it at www.thetravelingvegetarian.tv. She may have other links that will take you straight to the music. If so, I'll get those right in our show notes. But you can always go to her site to find out what the latest is. And we will certainly be keeping track of that eagerly and uh, with an interested ear. But right now, we have to turn from the world of entertainment to the world of the science Our science fact for VegCast 75 is study finds benefits of soy after breast cancer. This is a study in the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association. And uh, this write-up from Reuters says a new study published today, and of course that's earlier this month, suggests that breast cancer survivors may benefit from eating moderate amounts of soy products. In a large group of breast cancer survivors in China, researchers found that a higher intake of soy food, up to 11 grams daily, was associated with a lower risk of death or recurrence of breast cancer during follow-up. Uh, Dr. Zhao Shu of Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, analyzed the dietary habits of more than 5,000 women aged 20 to 75 who were diagnosed with breast cancer between March 2002 and April 2006 and were followed up through June 2009 as part of the Shanghai Breast Cancer Survival Study. Uh, The result was that women who ate the most soy protein had a 29% lower risk of dying during the study period and a 32% lower risk of having their cancer return compared to women who ate the least amount of soy protein. The benefits of soy food intake on death and breast cancer recurrence peaked at 11 grams per day. The researchers note no additional benefits on mortality and recurrence were observed with higher intakes of soy food, they wrote. Uh, They also said uh, women with breast cancer should know, this is the basic takeaway from the study, they should know that soy foods are safe to eat and that these foods may offer some protective benefit for long-term health. Patients with breast cancer can be assured that enjoying a soy latte or indulging in pad thai with tofu causes no harm and when consumed in plentiful amounts may reduce risk of disease recurrence, uh, they advise. Now, I'm reporting this, which is not all that surprising to a lot of vegetarians, uh, just for two quick uh, reasons. One is that soy, there's a lot of controversy out there about uh, eating soy. Is soy somehow going to hurt us because we, uh, we could potentially eat, especially vegetarians and vegans, could eat more soy than might be natural or helpful or whatever, and uh, this indicates that at the very least it looks that it looks as though soy is protective in uh, some cases and does not seem to be deleterious. So a lot of the hysteria that you get from 
foundations and think tanks and so forth that uh, have dairy connections may not be worth listening to. The other thing is that previously I have uh, just seen studies about the healthfulness of soy and said, well, these people who are uh, working soy into their diet are probably replacing animal protein, so it may not be that there's a health value in soy per se, but that there is a health value in reducing the intake of animal protein. And while this does not directly address that concern, the fact that it was a large cohort of Chinese women uh, who generally are eating far less animal protein than uh, American and other Western populations indicates that there may actually be something to pay attention to there in terms of soy itself. So I'm willing to uh, revise my earlier attitude about uh, that and uh, look at whether soy itself may actually uh, have some uh, positive uh, benefit uh, outside of whether it's replacing anything else. And that's just the kind of thing we do here. We reassess based on the scientific method and the new information that comes in, and that's why we call it the Science Fact. Okay, we are just about to screw the proverbial jar lid onto the 75th edition of VegCast and bid adieu to the year 2009. But uh, just looking back at that special comment, I should have mentioned that both of these points uh, do have some writing on the web that uh, if you're interested in uh, following up and finding out more about either of these, you can and I'll uh, list those in our show notes. Uh, I wanted to point out that one of them prominently uh, talks about a book that is worth reading called Climate Cover-Up, which came out just before the ClimateGate emails were released, and yet which talks about the concerted efforts of uh, industries, uh, PR people, and uh, so forth to generate this, this confusion by uh, continually raising the issue and the controversy of whether or not this science is settled. And uh, he details how uh, many of the same people that are doing this were involved in doing so for the question of whether cigarettes were bad for you and whether nicotine was addictive. Uh, it's not just that they're using the same strategies, they're using the same people, and I recommend that. That's by James Hogan. Um, also, the Gary Taub's issue, I wrote up a pretty detailed piece in Vegetarian Voice. That's now up on the NAVS website. If you want to read that, that goes into some detail in terms of the allegations uh, that many scientists made uh, against him misrepresenting their work. Uh, and lastly, just one plug here for uh, Bon the Humbugs, who uh, have been played on VegCast. You may recall the song, the kind of animal rights satire, Free the Reindeer, uh, which we played, I believe, a couple years back. Uh, also, if you're a fan of Green Beings, who do the theme song, the VegCast theme song, and have had other many uh, songs played on here, it's the band that I have with Paul Nordquist and Amy Guskin. Well, the three of us are uh, three key members, if I don't mind saying so, of Bond the Humbugs, and if you are getting this podcast before the 24th of December, uh, you can go to xpn.org on Christmas Eve, and at sometime around 4 p.m., 
Uh, if you uh, tune your browser to that and have that streaming, you will hear an interview and a live concert with Ba and the Humbugs. And with that, I'm going to get out of here. Okay, I want to give a big 75th VegCast thanks to Luna and Larry's Coconut Bliss. Luna and Larry remind you there are many ways to achieve bliss. We use coconuts. And thanks, of course, to Brandon Gittleman, Friends of Animals, for showing up at uh, Fifth and Chestnut and talking to us about the carriage horse issue in Philadelphia. And, of course, thank you to Yvonne Smith, the traveling vegetarian, for providing us with a world-exclusive VegCast mix of her newest track. We'll be keeping track of her in 2010, and we have lots more good stuff coming up, so please get out there and live like you mean it. Veg-cast.